Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, John chapter 14. The first verses of John chapter 14 are no doubt some of the most precious verses in all of God's Word. You'll be reminded that it was the night of the Lord's betrayal. The hearts of the disciples were beating rapidly with great fear, and the Lord shares with them words that would cause their hearts to be stilled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, has been a lifeline of hope for God's people for some 2,000 years. After all, in this passage, Jesus promises to prepare a place for us. I go and prepare a place for you. Jesus promises to come again for us, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And in this same passage, we find another promise that the Lord gives, and we're going to zero in on that promise this morning. It's in the 13th and the 14th verses of the Gospel of John chapter 14, where Jesus promises to answer prayer. We have the promise of answered prayer John 14, verses 13 and 14, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word. Father, I pray that we'd seize upon these verses this morning, commit them to our hearts as we commit our way unto you. And Lord, that we live in the confidence of your word, that you indeed answer our prayers. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. A young British soldier many years ago was caught as he sneaked back into the company of his fellow soldiers from under the canopy of the woods. They, seeing him coming back out of the woods, grabbed him, brought him before the commanding officer, accusing him that he'd been conspiring with the enemy. The commanding officer looked at the young man who was shaken by the encounter, and he said, what were you doing? And the young man said, sir, I was praying, sir. The officer said, praying? Well, you better pray because you're soon to face the firing squad. The young man got on his knees and he began to pray. He prayed earnestly. He prayed simply. He prayed beautifully. In fact, the commanding officer was so impressed that he said, stop, stop. You're dismissed. He said, only one who drills regularly could do so well at review. wonder how you'd do if you were being reviewed about your prayer life. Every tender-hearted Christian is susceptible to the conviction of the Holy Spirit when asked about their prayer life. How sincere are you when you pray? How frequently do you pray? How long do you pray? How earnestly do you pray? Are you real when it comes to the matter of your prayer life? Every sincere Christian becomes convicted when asked about the topic of their prayer life. Leonard Ravenhill said the church has many organizers but few agonizers. Many that pay but few who pray. Many wrestlers, but few wrestlers. Many who are enterprising, but few who are interceding. Ties build, but tears give life to the church. Said Ravenhill, when it comes to the matter of effective praying, never have so many left so much to so few. 
Those are convicting words. Why are they true? And they really are so sadly true. What has happened to our passion for prayer? Well, over 70 years ago, G. Campbell Morgan, who ministered in London during the great air raids of World War II, had this to say. He said, it's necessary to acknowledge the fact that among the things of weakness characterizing our age is a far spread doubt of the possibility of prayer. The advance of scientific knowledge has made it impossible for many to believe that the desires and petitions of individual souls or companies in agreement can have any effect upon the affairs of a universe conditioned absolutely within laws. Let me tell you something. People in Florida prayed this week. People in South Carolina prayed this week. Somehow our self-centered agnostic personalities are adjusted when we go through natural disasters and our hearts to pray suddenly become shaken. In John chapter 14 and verse 13, the words of Jesus confront our self-centered agnostic society. They confront that society when Jesus says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus tells us that he has the power to answer our prayers. Here's a simple statement. If the literal reading of the Bible means anything, then surely you'll agree with me. Jesus, according to this passage, is able to answer our prayers. And in verse 14, Jesus says, He has the audacity to say it again. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Anything? I want us to follow three pathways of thought as we look at these verses this morning. I want us to see an unequaled promise that's given to us here. I want us to see more, an unlimited power that is referenced in this text. And I want us to see this morning an unaltered purpose that we really, really need to understand. But let's begin this morning by seeing this unequaled promise of answered prayer that the Lord has given. Those who believe that the Bible is true in matters of history, in matters of science, and in matters of faith will surely agree that the Bible is clear when the Bible says God answers prayer. God's ability to answer prayer is proclaimed throughout the pages of the Old Testament. In verse after verse, you may want to write some of these down for future reference. In fact, to claim them in your own time when, you, when you're alone with the Lord in prayer. The psalmist said in Psalm 4 and verse 3, the Lord will hear when I call upon him. The psalmist said in Psalm 50 and verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will answer thee and thou shalt glorify me. The psalmist said in Psalm 91 and verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. Isaiah 30 and verse 19, he will be very gracious unto thee, hearing the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, I saw that on a license plate this morning of someone who pulled into our parking lot, and I thought, they were fortunate to get to the license bureau ahead of a lot of other people. That's a wonderful verse, Jeremiah 33, 3. The Bible says, call upon me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. God's ability to answer prayer is proclaimed throughout the Old Testament, and God's ability to answer prayer continues to be proclaimed throughout the pages of the New Testament. In fact, most importantly, Jesus himself tells us that our God 
will answer our prayers. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, you remember Jesus said, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Matthew 18 and verse 19, Jesus says, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that you shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Two of you? Yes, Jesus states in Matthew chapter 18 that it's it's important to pray collectively, to have a prayer partner, if you will. Do you have a prayer partner? Do you have someone that you've invited to be your partner in prayer and beseeching the gates of heaven for those requests that are near to your heart? Matthew 21 and verse 22, Jesus says, In all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Now the apostles understood clearly from the Old Testament from the statements of Jesus, and they reiterate that under the power of inspiration, 1 John 5 and verse 15. John the apostle says, And if we know that he hear us, Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. The Old Testament and the New Testament are full of promises that God will answer prayer. But let me just say, when you turn to John 14 and verse 13, you're turning to an unequaled promise. How so, Pastor Phelps? There are two words that cause me to claim this to be an unequaled promise. In verse 13, and whatsoever you shall ask. And then we read in verse 14, and if you shall ask anything in my name. Wow. The scope of the Lord's promise in this passage is unequaled. Jesus says that we can pray for anything. Jesus says we can pray for everything. We can pray for little things. Back before we could punch a button on a cell phone and have it guide us to where it's some other device has been lost. There are those in this room who can remember praying anytime we lost anything. I think we've somehow gotten out of the pattern of that. We lay something down and we run all over the house looking for it. How many can join me in saying, I've done that before and then I prayed and I found it? I know. We can pray for little things and God amazingly answers. For years and years, my wife would pack up the, the kiddos and take them to the library, our public library. The best parking was on the street. The only unfortunate part about the best parking was it was parallel parking, and more unfortunate than that is my wife, well, she'll confess, parallel parking is not her thing. Her routine, I knew it well. She'd get all the books that had to be returned. She'd make sure all the kids were in the car. She made sure all of them were buckled. And before she put the car in reverse and backed out of the garage, they would bow together and pray. They would pray for safety in traveling just to the library. It was a mile and a half away, after all. And then that she'd find a parking place that was available. And for years, week after week after week after week after week, she never once had to parallel park. That's a little thing. But it was a great thing for our kiddos to be able to see that God answers prayer week after week, day after day. And God answers big prayers, doesn't he? big prayers. For our family, one of the biggest prayers we've prayed is that other loved ones would come to know Christ as Savior. When God took our children home back in 2013, two of them were transported into glory. A funeral service was being planned behind the scenes. There were many who were praying that the decades-old prayer request that some family members would come to Christ would be answered. After the funeral was over, a very special cousin of my wife's 
came to her and she said, hey, I want to let you know I prayed that prayer. What do you mean, Diane? Linda responded, you know, at the end of the service when the minister asked if you want to trust Christ as Savior, I prayed that prayer. Linda had been praying for Diane for 39 years. A week after that, we received a call from someone in South Carolina who'd been watching online. And while watching online, their child came to Christ as Savior. A year later, we saw something that my brother-in-law, Linda's brother, had posted online. That he'd pulled over, actually, on the way home from the funeral, overwhelmed, overwhelmed by what he'd seen, overwhelmed by what he'd heard, wrestling in his own soul. He pulled over on the highway on the way back to Iowa, bowed his head and trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and later was baptized to show others that he trusted in Jesus. She'd prayed for him for 40 years. God answers little prayers, and God answers big prayers. I've shared just a few of the ways that we've seen the Lord answer prayers, big and small. But I know this. In this room this morning, there would be literally thousands of testimonies of people were they to count their blessings and look back on the way God has answered prayer. You see, generations of believers have put their finger on John 14, verses 13 and 14, and claim this is their own. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you will ask anything in my name, I will do it. Mr. and Mrs. George Mueller were burdened over the situation that they saw in their hometown of Bristol, England, with so many children living on the streets. So they opened their home, and soon they had 30 orphans, 30 little orphan girls living in their home. But they had a burden for the boys as well, so they began to rent houses on their street, and pretty soon they had 130 orphaned boys and girls living on their street in the homes that were now being provided As their ministry grew in 1845, Mr. Mueller went to an architect and said, I have a burden to build an orphanage building. And the architect said, I share your burden. Let me draw the schematics for that building, and I won't charge you anything. Soon, there were five orphan houses open, and by 1870, there were 2,000 orphans living in those orphan houses in Bristol, England. The unusual thing about it, of course, was Mr. Mueller never asked anyone to contribute. But funds came. He never had any debt along the way. God just provided. By the end of his life, George Mueller, who was well known as a person who knew the power of prayer, had journaled his prayer request and the answers that God had given, and he had over 22,000 specific answers to prayer that he'd experienced. Why? Because the God that we serve answers prayers both big and small. You see, this passage has an unequaled promise, whatsoever ye shall ask, if you shall ask anything. And this passage speaks of an unlimited power of prayer. Jesus encourages us to come to the Father in His name. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name. Well, that's an unequaled power. In fact, he references it again in verse 14. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. From the time that Jesus gave this instruction to his disciples, countless people, innumerable Christians, have ended their prayers by saying, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sometimes we give very little thought to what do we mean when we say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this morning I want us to give some thought to that. In fact, we give so little thought to it sometimes that it can be humorous. 
I served with a youth pastor who made a phone call to make sure that a gym was lined up. He'd reserved it for a Friday evening youth activity, and he wanted to make sure that everything was in order. And when he called, he got an answering machine. And so he said to the answering machine, hey, hey, yeah, this is Bob calling. I want to just let you know that I'm still on for Friday night. You told me you'd leave the key out front. I'm going to pick up that key. We'll be using that, uh, that gym from about 7 o'clock to 9.30, and I promise I'll keep it clean for you when I leave, and I'll put the key back where you told me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs> and then he said, uh, mm, uh, and he hung up the phone. He came down to my office. He said, you won't believe what I just did. So what would you do, Bob? He said, I left an answering machine message, and at the end of the message, I said, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. We become so accustomed to ending our prayers in Jesus' name, it becomes a perfunctory exercise. What does it mean when we ask in the name of Jesus? Well, the name of God represents all that He is. It represents his very person. That concept is shared with us in the Old Testament. For instance, in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 and verse 11, we read, We rest on thee, and in thy name go against the multitude. In other words, based on the promise of the power of your person, we go forward to war. In Psalm 20 and verse 5, we read, In the name of our God, we will set up our banner. Again, we're following after God in His name, which represents every facet of His glorious person. In Proverbs 18 and verse 10, we read, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. What does that mean? It means the name represents the person of God, that as we call unto His name, as we know His name, we know His person, we know His strength, we know about Him. His name represents an unlimited power. Unlimited power is tied to His name because it represents all that He is. Unlimited power reflects on His holy character when we think of His name. His unlimited power is tied up in His name because His name, His very name gives us access to the throne, even as we sang about this morning, that access to go within the veil. The unlimited power is tied to the name of Jesus. So when you ask sincerely, you're asking in the name of Jesus, and you're saying, I recognize that Jesus is God, that the unlimited power and the supply and the promises of God are mine to claim because I know I can call Him by name. Asking in the name of Jesus ought to keep us from asking the wrong way. It ought to keep us from asking amiss so we can receive upon our own lust, as James speaks about. We ask in the name of Jesus because we know who He is. We know the power He represents. Prayer in His name requires us to accept His person. Requires us to accept His person. Look carefully at the claims that Jesus is making here in John chapter 14. You remember in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When we pray in His name, we're agreeing that He is the way to the Father. We're agreeing that He's the way to heaven. He's the one who gives us access into this unequaled power. Then look what He says in verse 11, John 14 and verse 11. Jesus speaking to Philip, He says, Have I been such a long time with you, Philip, and thou hast not known me? 
He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how saidest thou then, show us the Father? When we come in the name of Jesus, we're confessing that we believe that Jesus is the way to God, that we believe that he is the pathway into the holiest of holiest. So when we say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen, don't say that curtly or rotely. Say it with understanding. He has given us access to the Father because he is indeed God. Our family was at a family reunion a number of years ago at a camp, and there were a number of families there, not just ours. So many families that they set up kind of a tab at the, uh, at the, the refreshment stand at the camp or at the snack shop. Everybody's name was there. We put money in, and then we could come and not have to deal with money. My four-year-old nephew was at the camp that week. Every time I saw that child, he was carrying a large ice cream cone. I mean, the, the ice cream cone was as big as him. I, I said something to my wife, I can't believe that my sister's letting him eat all that much ice cream. That kid's going to be huge by the end of the week. He's just eating ice cream all week long. I mean, it was all over his face. It was down his, you know, we, we're glad for the lake when he could get washed off once a day. <laughs> kid's eating so much ice cream. I stood behind him in line at the snack shop one day, and he said, of course, I'll take an ice cream cone. The guy made this huge ice cream cone, hands it to the four-year-old, and the guy said to him, family, please. And my, my little nephew says, Phelps. <laughs> I, did I mention it was my sister's child? He doesn't have my name. <laughs> and it dawned on me, I've been paying for that kid's ice cream all week long. <laughs> no wonder I was his favorite uncle. <laughs> my name gave him access. My name gave him benefit. And the name of Jesus gives you access. The name of Jesus gives you benefits. With the Father in heaven, have you come to trust in Him as the only way to heaven? Have you come to believe in Him, that those who have seen Him have seen the Father, that He is equal with God because He is God? And if you've done that, then when you come in prayer asking, the benefits of His unequaled power become yours to enjoy. Prayer in His name represents not only the fact that you accept His person, but it represents also the authority of His person. Come with me over to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, just a couple of pages over. John chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 20. John 16 and verse 20, Jesus is speaking, and He's saying, verily, verily, or truly, truly, Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament. He's talking about the time of his crucifixion, that time that the disciples most dreaded. You will weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. John 16 and verse 20, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she's in travail, hath sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she's delivered to the child, she remembers no more the anguish. For joy that a man is born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. Your heart shall rejoice and your joy. No one taketh away from you. Then verse 23, and in that day you shall ask me nothing. What do you mean, ask me nothing? Well, in verses 17 and 18, the disciples were asking Jesus many questions. You'll look in verse 18. What is this that he saith a little while? And we cannot tell what he saith. They'd been asking many questions. Jesus says, in that day, after the resurrection, you're not going to be asking me these questions any longer. In fact, he says, verily, verily, I say to you, 
Whosoever you shall ask, or whatsoever rather you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 24, hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken to you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak to you in Proverbs, but I will show you plainly the Father. Verse 26, and at that day you will ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray to the Father for you. What's he saying here? He's saying the time of my crucifixion is coming. You're asking me all these questions. Disciples, there's a day coming when you won't be asking me questions about this topic any longer. Jesus says, at the present time, you've never asked anything in my name. You've never prayed in my name. But the time's going to come that that's what you're going to do, and you're going to do that routinely. Jesus is opening up this truth. He's saying, once you've witnessed the resurrection and seen that power, you'll understand the power of prayer comes through access through Christ. And you'll ask in my name. Having compared his death to a woman with child, Jesus is sharing this glorious truth. The anxiety of all these questions, disciples, that you've been asking are going to go away because of the joy of the resurrection, and then your questions will seem silly, and your prayers will be offered in my name. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 reminds us of this wonderful truth. The Savior that we serve this morning is living right now with this purpose in heaven. He ever lives to make intercession for us. When we call out in His name, when we ask in His name, His ear is ever attentive and His eyes are ever upon us to answer those prayers. My wife came home to our house when we were living in a college town. While we were serving there, we had many college students who would come and go. Our sons were about the same age, and so their friends would come over. And once in a while, their friends would come over and do their laundry while they were watching a game with our sons. My wife came home one day, and there was a young man in our home, not one of our sons, doing his laundry. And my wife said, uh, excuse me. Oh, he said, the door was unlocked, so I just came in and was doing my laundry. Now, Linda didn't call the police. She didn't dial 911. She got a kick out of it, really. But he felt so at home in our home that he could come in and do his laundry. How did he have that access and enjoy that response? He had it through our son. Hey, friend, when you come to the Father God in heaven, with the access given by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the broken body that was broken on the tree, We have access in heaven for large and small. We come in his name. Prayer in his name represents the authority of his person, the authority for access. And prayer in his name reminds us of the abundant provision that's available for us. We pray to the one who fed the 5,000. We pray to the one who said, cast your nets on that side and fill those nets with fishes. We pray to the one who was able to heal the leper We pray to the one who was able to say, Lazarus, come forth. And when he came out, he was raised from the dead. We pray through his name, and it's the only name that's worthy. It would be very wrong of you to bow in prayer after this service and say, Lord, I come in the name of the right Reverend Pastor Thomas Kaufman. And I ask that you would, wouldn't that, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? I don't think you'd get anywhere with that. Now, if you came in the name of the right Reverend Pastor Bob Taylor, you might get further, but I don't think it's going to get you very far. 
I'm sure if you came in my name, you might get even a little further. No, no, I'm just kidding. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And there's one God and one intercessor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And coming in the name of Mary does you no good. And coming in the name of some other saint does you no good. No, we come knowing that He alone gives the abundant provision that we need. His name above all names shall stand, exalted more and more. At God the Father's own right hand, where angel hosts adore. Blessed be the name, an unequaled promise, an unlimited power, an unalterable purpose. What do you mean, Pastor Phelps? Well, let's look at verse 13 of John 14 once again and peer down just a little bit further. Jesus says, he'll answer prayer, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That's an important phrase, so let's not leave it out. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is the unalterable purpose of our prayer. That through the work of the Son, and even through his work of intercession, the Father would be glorified. Sadly, we often rush into prayer with little or no thought given to how this prayer request and how this answer can glorify God. Two things ought to be kept in mind when we pray with an awareness of God's glory. When we come with an awareness of His glory, His will suddenly becomes our desire. When we come with an awareness of His glory, His will suddenly becomes our desire. I heard a story about a little boy who was kneeling for his bedtime prayers And he cried out with a loud voice, I want a bike, Lord, I want a bike. His mom said to him, honey, God can hear you. You don't have to yell at God when you pray. He said, I know, mom, but grandma's in the room next door. (laughs) All of us are prone to pray like that with our own selfish desires. But listen, folks, your prayers will be tempered when they're tempered to consider how this will glorify God. Even the most earnest, desperate prayers. When Jesus said, nevertheless, let this cup pass from me, he also said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was accepting that God would be most glorified by his great pain and the agony of the cross. Because through that agony and through that pain and through the shedding of his blood, these who are here today would glorify the name of the Father who in eternity past had a plan for our redemption so that we could have salvation through the pain and the suffering of Jesus. So he prayed, not my will but thine. He was praying that God would be glorified. The unalterable purpose of our prayer ought to be that God would be glorified, not simply that I would receive those things that I want. No, that God's name would be glorified. When we come with an awareness of God's glory, his answer becomes always sufficient. Remember how Paul prayed that the thorn in the flesh would be taken from him? And God said, no, no. And then God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And suddenly it came to Paul's understanding that God could be most glorified through this infirmity that he carried And so the Apostle Paul cries out in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in mine infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What's he saying? He's saying, I've come to learn to pray, even when it's something that's hurting me, even when it's something that's 
causing me great personal pain. But when I pray and find His will and desire His glory, I come to understand that this testing can bring great benefit. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus is able to answer our prayers. Now, I can almost hear someone this, this morning saying, but pastor, I've been praying about something for a long time, and I haven't seen the answer to that prayer. So I have a question that I need to be asking you this morning. Are you praying in the name of Jesus, not as a magic formula, <laughs> not as just an add-on, not just automatically so that heaven's vaults will somehow open for you, but when you're praying in the name of Jesus, are you praying because you've accepted His position that He's God, the only way to heaven? When you're praying in the name of Jesus, are you praying with respect for His authority? When you're praying in the name of Jesus, are you reflecting on His glory and asking that though your prayer request be sincere, that God would alter that prayer request so His glory could shine out through your life and through your circumstance. This is what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. And the closer your relationship to Jesus becomes, the more satisfaction you find in praying in His name. For when you draw close to Him, you find He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What a friend we have in Jesus. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast. Thank you.